Let us pray. Lord, as we look into your word again today, we ask for your wisdom. Spirit of God, you have promised to be our teacher and our guide. And so speak to us as we read your word. Speak into our hearts and our lives in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We've been looking together at the Beatitudes, Jesus' words, his first teaching, first main teaching that he lays out, the fundamentals of living passionately with God. And he said these things. Oops. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. He said, first of all, we need to recognize we have to have that poverty of spirit, that emptiness, that we have nothing that we can offer God that, that he needs or that he wants from us. And we have to come to that point of, of complete helplessness before God. Then when we are empty, God can fill us. That's the blessed of the poor in spirit. And then we mourn, as we shared before, the mourn the distance between what we could be and what we are right now. We mourn the loss of what we could have been because God has given us everything we need for life in all its fullness. And yet we struggle so often through life because we don't take the resources that God has given to us. And so we mourn the distance of what could be to where we are. Blessed are the meek, he said, for they will inherit the earth. Meekness is God's power under his control. That we are people who he empowers, but it always needs to be under his control. We see in the Bible so often where people usurped the power of God. They started to use it for themselves. Moses, when he hit the staff on the rock to get the water out when he was told to speak to the rock. He had the power because God gave him the power, but he abused the power. He didn't do it under the control of God, and God said there are consequences, serious consequences to that. Because you've abused the power that I have given into you, want to flow through you, then you won't go into the promised land. You'll only see it from a distance. David, he was given the power and the authority by God to be raised from a shepherd boy and the, the least in his family to be the king of all Israel. But what did he do with the power? Well, at first he used it under God's control, but then he started to abuse the power and he said, hey, there's a good looking woman over there who's taken a bath on the rooftop and I fancy her. And you know the story how he then slept with her, she became pregnant, he tried to cover it up, killed the woman's husband in battle and abused the power and God said you know what there's serious consequences when you do that and his family started to fall apart and everything started to fall apart in his life after that moment because his meekness vanished blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness we need to have that hunger for God and the things of God seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. Those are the things that we looked at before. But Jesus carried on. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the merciful. 
These are the four things that we've, uh, four steps that we've looked at. I've just gone through them with you, those first four. But let's look at number five. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. What is mercy? Mercy comes so often, so many times in the Bible. Out of the 66 books in the Bible, mercy is spoken of in 50 of those 66 books in the Bible. 454 times mercy is spoken about in scriptures. It's one of the key, key characteristics of God. And God says through Jesus to us, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. So what is mercy? What does it mean to be merciful? Well, mercy, as James chapter 2 says this, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. I remember when I was a little boy, I was playing football out in the front, and uh, I shot the ball. It was a great shot, full of power and precision. Well, not really precision. It missed the goal and went straight through the front window of the house. My brother, who always had my back, ran in and said to my mom, it was him. He did it. It wasn't me. I was in goal. He shot. He's such a useless shot. He should play for England. It was him. And my mother said those fatal words that mothers always say, wait till your father gets home. You remember? You're all thinking of that story where that was said to you now, aren't you? You know, when my father came home, he looked at the window with a big hole in it. He looked at his trembling son. I tried to put on those kind of dog eyes, you know, when they look up at the table and they want a morsel of food and you, you have pity. And he looked at me and he said, David, and I went, oh, no. What's going to happen? I'm going to be grounded for like a hundred years. The wooden spoon will come. Those were the days of the wooden spoon days. You remember them? But he said, David, you're going to repair this window with me. I said, really? He said, yes. You broke it, you fix it. So on the Saturday, he said, cancel whatever you were planning on doing because we're going to repair the window. So we boarded the window up, and on Saturday, he took me down to the glass shop, and we bought a new pane of glass and some putty, and he showed me how to take out the old bits of broken window, put in the new pane, fix the whole window, paint it all back up again, and repair it. How big was the glass? Uh, it seemed quite big to me. It wasn't a massive window. But you know, a number of years later, we were in the manse. One of my sons was playing hockey out in the street. He shot the puck like an Englishman. The puck went straight through the window at the front of the house. Guess what his dad did? He said, son, you're going to come repair that window. And I took him to the shop and I bought the glass and I showed him how to repair the window. That's what mercy is all about. You deserve punishment. But my dad taught me that punishment is not always the best way. Sometimes there's another way. 
Sometimes it's better not just to ground me for send me to my room, get me to do whatever punishment he desires for me to do. It's actually better to use that illustration or use that moment to teach me something new. I never broke another window quite in the same way because I knew how much one it cost and secondly the time commitment to replace the glass. But mercy, God says, you know, mercy is the opposite. It's not that we haven't done anything wrong. It's not that the ball never went through the glass or you pretend the glass is not broken. Mercy says there is a different way to respond in these situations. Romans, you know, God did it to us, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus said, you know what, you deserve punishment, but I'm going to show you a different way. I'm going to show you the way of the cross, which is a different way to really what you deserve. While you're still sinners, while you're still helpless, while you're still thrown out of the garden, I'm going to show you a way back. Jesus did that twice. John 5, this is the guy that was at the pool in Siloam. Said, gotta help me get into the pool when the waters get stirred. Do you remember the story? And if the first person into the waters, they get healed. Jesus came along, saw the guy that was, uh, couldn't walk, and he said, take up your mat, walk. And then he said to them these words. He said to him, saw him at the temple. So he said, see, you are well again. Now stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. He says, you know what? Change your ways about what you were before. I'm going to show you mercy, but that mercy requires a new way forward. Same with the woman caught in adultery. When they were going to throw the stones, and he says, no one condemns you, neither do I. Now go and leave your life of sin. Mercy says there's a different way forwards. There's an alternative to the norm. But we are called to be merciful. It doesn't say blessed are those who are shown mercy but blessed are the merciful. You and me are called to show mercy to other people. We're to be merciful, firstly, whoops, to those who hurt us. So many people hurt us in life. We're going about our business, people say things, people do things, and they hurt us. And what's our natural reaction? You want to hurt them back. In fact, if I can hurt them back harder than they hurt me, that's, that's why that's where Hollywood blockbusters are made, isn't it? I'm coming to get you, right? I'm going to hurt you more than you've hurt me. I'm going to pay back what you deserve. That's, that's where all our movies come from. But Jesus says there's a different way, a way of mercy. Now, this doesn't mean that you then let yourselves be walked over nonstop. That's not showing mercy. It doesn't say, hey, you deserved mercy. For me to pay you back, but I'm just going to let you carry on hurting me. No. Mercy says, you know what? There must be a different way where I can encourage you. I can show you what it means to have a different way forward so that you don't have to keep on hurting people like you've hurt me. Now, what can I do in that situation? I think Gandhi was a good example of that. Passive resistance, peaceful resistance. When, when every other place, when they rose up against the British Empire, it was a violent, you know, confrontation. Gandhi said, you know what, there's a different way. There's a way we can do this through peace rather than through violence. He showed mercy. He showed a different way. 
to those who were hurting him and the country that he loved. Find a different way. Show mercy to those who hurt you. Show them the way of God. And then also show mercy to those who are hurting. Sometimes you see people around you. You know people around you who are hurting. Hurting because of relationships. Hurting because of other things in their lives. Show mercy. Get alongside them. Galatians 6.2, bear one another's burdens. So fulfill the law of Christ. Get alongside those people and show them the love of Jesus Christ, the mercy of Christ. Support them and encourage them. Now, sometimes that's difficult. It's difficult because it's time-consuming. It's difficult because sometimes they'll end up blaming you for the situation that they find themselves in instead of the situation themselves, itself. But it's what we're called to be, to be peacemakers, to be merciful to others, to those who are hurting. What's this guy? What does he keep saying? I hate that advert, don't you? Go compare. You all know it, don't you? You're all going to about sing it. You know what I'm going to do. That's better. One of the difficulties about showing mercy is this, is that we look at other people and we make judgments about them. Yeah, I'm going to pick on Tim because he's sitting in the front row. You look at Tim, you see Tim's in this difficult situation, and what do you say? You assess the situation and Tim's character, and you go, you know what? He deserves it. I told him, I told, I told him this would happen. How many times have you ever said that to someone else, or they said it to you? I told him this sort of thing would happen. If only he had listened to me, then he wouldn't be in this mess. So the only way he's going to learn is if I just leave him there. Right? That's not showing mercy. What we're doing is go compare. We're comparing him to how I would pretend I would deal with that same situation. And because he hasn't measured up to my standard, I'm going to say, well, I'll leave him there then. I'm not going to show him any mercy because he deserves it. God says, do not do that. Don't compare. Compare yourself like this. First, think about the mercy that God has shown you. While we were sinners, still far off, Christ died for us. Think about the mercy that God has shown you in your life. You don't deserve it, but he's shown it to you anyway. And he said, you know what? I'm going to welcome you in. I'm going to pour out my blessing upon you. I'm going to show you a different way of living. Think about the mercy that God shows to each of us. Then think about the mercy. From that mercy we have received from God, we show mercy to one another. So we don't compare. We don't say, Tim, you deserve this or you don't deserve this. What we do is we say, hey, think about the mercy I have received from God in my life. Don't deserve it, but I receive it anyway. Out of that pool of mercy, I'm going to show mercy to other people because God has shown mercy to me. And as I do that, as I show mercy to others, then what happens is that I have an increased awareness of the mercy that I have received from God. God shows me mercy. I show mercy to other people. And when I show it to other people, I suddenly realize just how precious and how undeserved the mercy is that comes from God. 
And so I get an increase awareness of God's mercy, which increases the amount of mercy within me that God has shown me, or the amount at least I recognize, which gives me more that I can show to others. And so it goes round and round and round, and we increase in our mercy giving to others. Blessed are the merciful, Jesus said, for they will be shown mercy. And as we give that mercy because we have received that mercy first from God, so we will continue to grow in giving mercy to others. Let's move on. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. What does it mean to be pure in heart? In some ways, this is the, 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 highest, the highest statement in the Scriptures, to be pure in heart. Think about back in Genesis, in the beginning. Adam and Eve walking with God, pure in heart, completely open, completely transparent. There they were, walking, talking in the cool of the night. Okay. In Genesis, there they are, pure in heart, walking with God face to face. They're there, they're talking, they see him. And then what happens? Sin comes in, in the, in the story, they're thrown out of the garden. They can no longer see God face to face. Moses says, I want to see your face. And God says, you can't do that. See my face, you die. And there's no purity anymore. And so Jesus came to restore that purity within us. And one day in Revelation 22, it says we will see him face to face once more. That purity of heart, that insight. That firstly is thinking about our morals, our thoughts and words and deeds. There's that uh, wonderful prayer of confession. Forgive us in thought, word and deed. Through negligence, through weakness, through our own deliberate fault, we're truly sorry and repent. It's about whether our thoughts, our words, our deeds are, are pure, are in keeping with the standard, the character of God, or are they something else? Think about your thoughts this week, your words, some of the things that you've done. Have they been from a pure heart? Also about our giving. So often we give, and it's about what I want rather than what God wants. I give so that I can get. I, I give so that people owe me. I give for a whole load of different reasons. But do I give out of that genuineness, of that purity? I give because God just wants me to be a channel of giving. And out of the, out of the goodness that he has given to me, so I give to others. And also, what about ourselves? Watch and pray, Luke says. This is where Jesus was with his disciples in Gethsemane. He said, watch and pray. And remember, these disciples fell asleep. Watch and pray that you won't fall into temptation. Watch and pray. Your lifestyle. Look at yourself. What's your heart say about who you are? Blessed are the pure in heart, 
Because if you have that purity, the more purity you have, the greater you have an opportunity to see God and who he truly is. It's a little bit like this. I can move this on. First, we have purity and increased purity. We, we seek to do the things of God. We say, Lord, help me. Show me how I can do the things you want me to do. How I can behave how you want me to behave. Think how you want me to think. Speak how you want me to speak. And as we seek that, as we try to become pure and to do the things of God, then what happens is the more we focus on that, the more we do that in our day-to-day lives. So our increase, our capacity to experience God happens. The more we focus on being pure in spirit, being pure in heart, the more we will be able to experience God in our lives. It's because our hearts then become, the more pure they are, the more in tune with God they are, the greater the presence of God is able to be in our lives. And the more we experience God, then that goes on. See if this will work. I'm going to have to go near the back. We get an increased awareness of our impurity. See, one of the, the tensions is that the, more, the closer we get to God, the more we see our own sin. The more I, I become in tune with God, the more I see parts of my life that are out of tune with God. And as I see those parts that are out of tune with God, I, I recognize my impurity. It's one of those big tensions. Part of me wants to stay far away from God because then I'm comfortable, but I'm drawn closer to God because I love him and I want to know more about God and I want more of God in my life. But I recognize that the more of God I have in my life, I recognize how sinful I am. And there are areas that need that continued transformation from God. But that gives me a chance to have repentance and change. And when I come to that point of giving up those areas and saying, Lord, transform those areas in my life, so it goes back then to increase purity again. And so the cycle keeps on going. You just keep going round and round and round. Why is it when people go away, when, when we have church weekends, when if you go away on conferences, if you go away on spiritual retreats, people come back fired up for God? It's because of this. They go away. They spend time with God. God shows them things in their lives that need transformation, things that, where he wants to touch them, areas where he wants to, to grow within them. He feeds into that because you've taken time out to do that. God will show them there's a time of repentance and change. And then people have that increased experience of God. They come back and they're going, hey, this was a fantastic weekend or a fantastic time away. Because you focused and spent time on God. Blessed are those who are pure in heart. Why? Because they will see more and more of God. And God wants that purity to be increased as we continue through our journey of faith. Number seven, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Peacemaking has two parts to it. First, avoid creating division by our own attitudes and actions. So often we get so kind of blinkered in our life 
like those horses that have the uh, things on, you know, just so that they see straight ahead. That what we do is we, we end up causing division with other people because we don't see, we don't stop, and we don't recognize. Being a peacemaker says, you know what, let me look around me and see whether there's a way in which I can go through without causing division, without causing these areas of conflict. Now, that doesn't mean that always this is true. Jesus, when he went into the temple and he turned over the tables, caused division. He had division with the Pharisees. But the division with the Pharisees, because the Pharisees were stopping people and putting roadblocks in the way of people coming to be able to worship God. There are times when division is good, when there needs to be some kind of division. But those are few and far between. And you have to be very careful when you stand up and say something that you know is going to cause division, that you are actually standing and doing the right thing. It's based on the, on the word of God rather than just on your own heart and your own desires. Be peacemakers. Avoid the division. But also, let me go back one. Repair broken and divided relationships too. Like we said, we're showing mercy. Get involved where you see division. Help people. Point them in the right direction if you need to. To restore relationships. To restore division. Why did Jesus say about peacemaking? You look at the church. What's the quickest way to make the church ineffective in a community? Division. You split a church down the middle, usually on carpet colors or something as ridiculous. It's usually what happens. You know, oh, pews, chairs, you know, organ, piano, carpet colors, green, blue, brown, whatever. And you get the carpet color faction on one side and the carpet color faction on the other side, and the two won't meet. You, know, you can't just blend the colors together and make some horrible color in the middle and everybody's happy or unhappy. It doesn't work that way. And what happens? Churches split. And what happens to their ministry in the local community? They're too busy fighting each other to be any good to anybody else. And the making disciples and the reaching out into the community and showing the love of Jesus Christ to others all dries up because we're too busy. Why did Jesus say the peacemakers are going to be called sons of God, children of God? Because if you're a peacemaker engaged in con continuing to work towards that unity, then you're in tune with the heart of God. God brings unity. God wants people to be together, worshiping him and looking to him. Repair the brokenness that you see around, as well as looking at ourselves. Jesus said, didn't he, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And he's in Colossians, let the peace of Christ rule your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. 
And lastly, and perhaps the most worrying of them all, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know, if you stand up for Jesus, if you speak about Jesus, if you live Jesus Christ, you will be persecuted. Now, it doesn't mean that we're going to be thrown to the lions or put in the arena, but there will be opposition to what we're doing. There will always be opposition. But persecution is not always completely negative. Persecution we should expect because Jesus always talks about it. There will be those that do not want the love of Jesus Christ shared in the community. They have other agendas. But as I said, it's not always negative. Firstly, it develops character in James chapter 1. talks about persecution, developing our character. It's a way in which God, when we come against difficulty, our character, the Spirit of God works within us to develop our character. Let's not say too much more. You can read it later. Secondly, it reveals our inner self. What I mean by that in in Matthew 5, uh, that he continues. We'll come on to that as we go through the Sermon on the Mount. But it shows you where your true heart is. When you faced opposition, when somebody comes against you, when they say things about you or about your faith, when you get out of that situation and you go and think about it, it shows you where your heart really is. The things that you think about afterwards. How could they say that about me? What must they think about me to be saying those kind of things? It shows you where your heart is. Do you understand what I'm saying? You know when somebody says something against you, something negative about you or about someone you love, you, you, you chew it over afterwards, don't you, for, for days and days and days. And that, that chewing over, that reflecting on what they said can help you to reveal truly where your inner self is. It's like I said earlier, if you want to get back, if you don't want to show mercy, that shows you where your heart is. If your reaction is to pray for them, that shows you where your heart is. If your reaction is to show mercy, that shows you where your heart is. If your reaction is to dismiss them, that shows you something about your heart. However you react, it shows you something about where you are in your inner self. And persecution has that way of revealing our inner selves to ourselves. And also, it produces blessing. Galatians 6, verse 7 to 10, it says, God cannot be mocked. You know, God will gain the victory ultimately. He has promised that. In the scriptures, you may face persecution for a time. You may face difficulty for a time, but he will ultimately bring blessing. People cannot stand against God and think they will win because they won't. God is God and we are not. And ultimately, the scripture says that God will have the victory. He has already won it on the cross that we celebrate in the bread and the wine. And he will win it in your life and in my life. He will do what he has promised. He will bring the blessing he has promised to bring. And he will produce that blessing in your life and in mine. Persecution will come. But God sometimes uses difficulties, persecutions, trials to bring blessing into our lives. 
There are eight steps for a vibrant life. Why does Jesus start with these eight things? He starts with them because they're foundational. If we don't understand these eight key things in our lives, then everything else that he talks about is kind of, in a sense, pointless. If we don't start with a poverty of spirit, if we don't mourn the distance, if we don't, you know, show mercy, if we don't hunger and thirst, if we, if we don't do these things, everything else builds on this foundation. That's why Jesus started with these eight foundational statements. Bless it, bless it, bless it. Secondly, he started with them because they're attainable. We might look at these and think, my goodness, I am so far away from this being a reality in my life. But with the Spirit of God working with you and with me, they are attainable goals. The blessings that he said are not just blessings that you will receive when you see him face to face. He said, these are blessings for you now. They're blessings for your life right now. Blessings that you can have if you just allow the Spirit of God to work at them in your life. They're foundational, they're attainable, and they're essential. We need to have these growing in our lives. They will be there in part, but allow God over the next, as we go through this series in Matthew, as we look at what this really means for our lives, allow God to develop these in your life. Say, Lord, look, I'm weak on this area. I need more blessing here. Lord, help me in this area. I need more blessing there. Allow him to do that. And remember, nothing is impossible with God. God said that to Mary and said, she said, how am I going to have a baby when I've not even slept with a guy? The angel said, nothing's impossible with God. And Jesus said it to his disciples. Nothing, he said, is impossible. God can grow these things and bring these blessings into your life and into mine. The question is, will you allow him to do it? Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for these eight statements, these eight blessings that you have promised to us. And Lord, we ask that you would speak into our lives, continue to do that, so that we may grow in you and grow strong in you. Grow these foundational cores in our lives, for they represent your character and who you are and what you desire to give to each one of us. We thank you and we praise you. In the name of Christ, amen.